Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the third week of our series on Matthew 13 called Pearls and Weeds. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. We're in a study of the Gospel of Matthew, and specifically now we're really looking at Matthew 13. And Matthew 13 is, is really, a, a, the whole chapter is about parables. And we've been looking at, at a couple of the parables that are the longer parables. And this morning, we're going to look at two that are very short. We're going to be looking at Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. Two really short parables in the middle of, of, of actually the one that we looked at last week. Um, and so if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me. And uh, to leave your Bible open throughout our time so that we can really dig into these, these short little, whoops, short little me- metaphors and parables about the kingdom of heaven. And, but let me begin by reading the passage we're going to look at. Matthew 13, starting in verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than, uh, than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make it nests in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we do have this morning to again come and dive into your word. Thank you for the truths that are here. Father, I thank you for the way that you're continuing to teach me and challenging me about, about what these mean. Father, thank you for the endless truth of your word that, that we can dig and dig and dig and there's, there's more there. And Father, I pray that you, would, that you would now speak through me and in spite of me. Father, your spirit would, would carry forth this morning not the opinions and words of a man, but fa- Father, somehow that, that I would communicate accurately your word, your power, the power of this life-changing power of, of your teaching. Father, I pray that your spirit would help each one of us to not only understand this, but to apply it in our own lives. Father, to, to be able to take these truths and plant them deeply into our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me ask you something. When is something really yours? Is it possible to have something and for it to not really be yours? Let's say, for example, I called you up here by name and I said, okay, I've got a check for you here. Okay, this is a check that's written out to you. It's signed. It's $10,000 and it's here for you to take. Now, is it yours? Well, you'd say, well, yeah, it's, it's written to me. It's given to me. Well, what if you actually, I, I said it's here, but you never came and took it. Or let's say if you came and you took it, but then you never brought it to the bank and you never deposited it. Is it really yours? Now, you might be thinking, that's kind of a silly illustration because no one would do that. No one would have a check that is given to them and that they wouldn't take it, they wouldn't cash it. Well, is it unrealistic? I am not suggesting that people do this, but there are a lot of people who do play the lottery and uh, and they play the lottery hoping that they will, you know, get lucky and they'll strike it rich. Now, if they're playing the lottery Obviously, that would seem to suggest that the possibility of them winning is important to them. They're really concerned about money. But did you know that in 2021, there were more than $25 million of unclaimed prizes in Ohio alone? Now, you, know, you look at that and you say, well, you know, all that money, these are tickets that no one claimed. And, and some, some might be thinking, well, that's probably just a lot of really small tickets. And 
Well, actually, there are numerous examples of really large tickets that have gone unclaimed. So, for example, in 2013, there was a $50 million prize sold in Florida that was unclaimed. In 2011, there was a $77 million prize sold in, um, in Georgia. In March of this past year, there was a winning Powerball ticket sold in Virginia for a, that's worth a, a $162 million that to this point is still unclaimed. And the person has until August 31st to redeem the ticket. And, and so you look at that and you say, that's amazing. I mean, here you have people that have the huge prizes. Now, let me ask you, did they really win the lottery? Is the money really theirs? Well, let's go from financial matters to spiritual matters. When is the power and the benefits of the gospel really yours? Is it possible to go to church? Is it possible to claim to be a Christian? Is it possible to like the teaching of Jesus, but yet not really have Jesus? Is it possible in a sense to have him like we would have the winning lottery ticket, but we have this thing of incredible value, but we never actually redeem it, so it's not actually ours. And if that is possible, then how do we make the promises and the power of the gospel ours? What does it look like when it, when it is ours? And what do we have to do to, in a sense, cash it in? Now, this morning, we're going to be seeing this idea explained in these two little short parables. But before we dig into these two parables, you know, I think it's important to kind of take a moment to kind of review the context that Jesus gives these parables in. I mean, it really starts back in the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, and we're told in the beginning of Matthew 13 that all these people were coming to Jesus. We're told a large crowd uh, gathered around him so that he got into a boat and he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shores. All these people, it's so crowded, he literally has to, you know, get in this boat, create distance so he can speak to the crowd. But Jesus responds to this large crowd that are coming to hear him, not in a sense like, oh man, look at how many people are following me, but he challenges them through, through several parables. First of all, he tells them the parable, the seed and the sower, uh, or the seed and the soil is sometimes referred to in verses 20 to, or th- 3 to 23. And in this parable, Jesus compares himself to a farmer who went out and sowed seed. And he said, well, some of that seed, he's you know, talking about his, his teaching, is casting out seed, and some is, is falling on hard ground, and, and that hard ground is, is like a path, and the birds are going to come and take it up. And, and others are going to fall on rocky ground, where there's a little bit of soil, and, and, and it seems to grow really quickly, but because there's no roots, when things get hard, when, things, when it gets hot, it withers. And some falls upon the weeds, and, and, and it seems to grow for a little while, but the weeds grow up and choke out the new, little new plant, and, and it dies. And some would fall on receptive ground, on good ground. And the soil of their hearts were receptive to God's word. And the result was that that seed then grew. It, 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 it produced the fruit of a changed life. And Jesus' point was that not everyone who was coming to hear him really was a follower of him. And he said, there, you know, there are many, basically saying there are many that are coming and hearing what I'm teaching, but they're not really accepting and embracing my word in such a way that lets that change them. Not everyone who hears Jesus' teaching, who even likes Jesus' teaching, is necessarily embracing him as Lord and God in their life. And what he's calling us to do is to evaluate ourselves. It's saying, okay, just because you're here, just because you're coming to church, just because you like, you know, identify as a Christian, look at our own lives. Do we have a soil that's really receiving God's word so that, that our lives are changed, or are we just fooling ourselves? 
Now, one of the tempting responses to that would be not to test ourselves, but to start to say, well, then I should test other people. Well, well, you know, as we said, we can become fruit inspectors and say, well, do they have fruit? Are they a Christian? Are they not a Christian? And, and so we can start to do that and then and think, well, we need to weed out the people that aren't really Christians. And so Jesus anticipated this and gives us the second parable, the parable of the wheat and the, and the uh, weeds or the wheat and the tares. And he gives us this in verses 24 through 30 and then explains it in verses 36 through 43. We looked at this last week. And he says that, you know, that he's like a farmer who plants wheat and there's an enemy that comes and plants weeds that look a lot like the wheat. And his workers want to go pull out the weeds. And, and he says, well, no, don't go pull them out because in the process, you might accidentally pull out some of the good wheat as well. And the wheat are the followers of Jesus and the, people are, the weeds are the people who claim to be Christians but aren't really. They might look like it for a while. And he's saying that there will be some who identify as Christians who really don't, uh, really haven't surrendered their lives to Christ. But we shouldn't take it upon ourselves to try to, to weed those people out. Now, those are these, these, uh, the parables around this, and the two little short parables are right in the middle of this. In fact, it's right in the middle between him telling us the wheat and the tares and explaining it. And so what we've got to realize is that's the context. And the context is that, again, Jesus is saying, there are many people that are going to come to church. There are many people who are going to come hear me. There are many people who are going to claim to be Christians who aren't necessarily followers of God. And and so let's look into these two parables and see what he's teaching us. Now, what I want to start with is to see that both of them are teaching something, something about the power of the kingdom of God. Look in verse 31, he begins the first parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. And again, in the second one, he talks about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, in verse 33, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Now, he's talking about kingdom. Now, let me ask, when you think of the concept of kingdom, what do you think of? I think when we think of kingdom, for most of us, I think of it, I think of, you know, somebody that is big and something that is powerful and dramatic. We might think of a great king who comes in and with a great army and defeats his foes and establishes his, his authority. Now, let's take that even a step further. I, I know it's hard for us to do this, but let's think about the people that were listening to Jesus. They were, the, the idea of kingdoms and, and, and kings were, were far more common to them. And it's not only that they understood this, but they had an expectation about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You see, they were looking forward to a Messiah. They, they saw the Bible and there was this prophecy about this Messiah and they expected this, this Messiah to be a king who would come in might and power. They expected him to be of the line of David, an even greater king than David, who would come in and overthrow the pagan Romans and establish a great and glorious capital in Jerusalem. And so now Jesus comes and to this group starts talking about the kingdom of heaven. But does, what does he compare it to? He says it's like a mustard seed. A tiny little mustard seed. He, you know, he didn't even pick a seed in general. He picked something that's so tiny you could barely see it here. It's, it's incredibly small. The smallest of seeds. And you say, that, how does that in any way connect with the idea of a kingdom? You know, if you were to have two words that you put together, kingdom and mustard seed just do not seem to go together at all. And what is he saying? How is it like a mustard seed or, or like leaven that's not only tiny, but actually when it's actually put into, into a loaf of bread, you don't even see it. It's invisible. Why would you think of that as a kingdom? 
Now, here's what we need to realize. The people in Jesus' day, when they were thinking about the kingdom, they were thinking, we need a kingdom that's going to take care of our greatest need. And what was their greatest need? In their mind, their greatest need was, we don't like the political oppression. We don't like what's going out there in the world. We see the Romans and they've conquered us. And, and so we want a king that's going to come and overthrow the Romans and going to, to set us up as a political leaders. But Jesus didn't come to, to fight a political battle. He didn't come to establish a political kingdom. He came to fight a spiritual battle and to establish a spiritual kingdom. You see, they wanted a Messiah that would humble the Romans and force them to, to, you know, to bow to the authority of the Messiah in politics. But Jesus said, no, I've come to establish my heart or my kingdom in the hearts of men. And he calls not the Romans to bow, but he calls each one of us to bow. And he says, no, I want each one of you to surrender to my authority in your own hearts. That's the nature of the kingdom of God. See, the problem was they misunderstood their greatest need. They thought their greatest need was Rome and political oppression. And God's sitting there saying, no, you have a far deeper need. That's not your greatest need. The greatest, need is, the greatest enemy isn't the Romans. The greatest enemy is sin. The greatest enemy is death. Our greatest need is to be, have, have our, our uh, relationship with God restored. It's a spiritual need, our separation from God. And so Jesus isn't talking about the evil out there that he's come to overthrow. He's talking about the evil in our hearts that he comes to overthrow. He doesn't talk about someone else, the Romans that need to bow their knee, bow their knee to the authority of the Messiah, but that each one of us, we're bound by the chains of sin and we need to surrender to him. Why? Because the whole idea is to accept Jesus as king means that we accept him as the one who solves our greatest problems. We need to ex accept, in a sense, even his definition of what that problem is. You see, so often people come to God and they're like, well, you gotta do this, you gotta fix this. And, and, and if God fixes this, then I'll believe. And what we're saying is, here God, let me tell you what you're king, gonna be king over. And he says, no, I need to, I, you know, your greatest problem is a spiritual one. It's a, it's a matter of not what's out there, it's a matter of your heart. And so his kingdom is different than what they expected or what still what many people today expect of God. And it's a, a kingdom that is a, a, a kingdom of power though. And it's a kingdom that is a different kind of power. Now here's what happened. Some people were looking for that, but other people were coming to hear Jesus and they weren't necessarily thinking about the power. They just saw him as a good teacher. They saw him as, as one who was a, a good teacher who set forth a bunch of ideas and I'm gonna come here and, and I can evaluate and decide what part of his teaching I like, which part I don't like. And, and this is again, how many people approach Jesus even today. And here in this, these illustrations, Jesus is also teaching us that his kingdom is not a kingdom just of words or of ideas, but it is a kingdom of power. See, again, a lot of people to this day approach Jesus as this teacher who gives a system of, of teaching and advice. And, 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 and generally, we can come to God and we can decide, I like this, I don't like this. I hear people again all the time of, well, this, well, I really believe this. Well, this part, well, our culture has changed and it isn't relevant today. And here, here let me give a different meaning than what's obvious in the Bible. And, and, and it's almost like we have this idea that here's these ideas and we can, we can choose what we like and what we don't like, what we accept or what we don't. And here's what Jesus is teaching, something that is taught elsewhere, that it's not just ideas, but there is a literal power that's involved here. Look what Paul says in, in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
It's not just talk. It's not just a bunch of words that you can choose to believe in or not believe, but it's power that you accept in your life. I love the way the New Living Translation, it, it, it translates this. It brings out a little bit more. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. It's letting God's power into our lives. You see, it's possible. I think what Paul is saying, it's possible to like Jesus' teaching to in a sense to adopt his teaching and word and say, I accept that and, and I believe that he actually came tied on the cross or I like his ideals and I like, I like the ideas that he teaches. It's possible to like it and not to receive it in power. And what do I mean by power? When I, when I embrace Jesus Christ and his teaching, what it's saying is that there's power. It's like a seed that once it gets in our lives, it will change us. Is it, does Christianity have a set of beliefs? Yes, but it is more than that. Does it have a set of morality and a set of ideals? Yes, but it is more than that. It's a kingdom power that will change you. And Jesus' whole point is that if you're not being changed, if there isn't the fruit of a changed life, you might have the ideas, but you don't have the power. You don't have the kingdom. You don't have the real thing in your life. And the question is, is it changing you? Now, there's one more thing surprising thing about the nature of the king, God's kingdom power that that's, we see in these parables. And that is that when we think of kingdom power, we think of strength and, and force and, you know, I'm going to make it happen. But these show a, a picture of almost meekness to God's power. See, we think of it coming and defeating the enemies and, and forcing its way. But look at again at these two pictures. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. These aren't pictures of force. They're, they're actually gentleness. You don't force a seed into a ground. In fact, in reality, this, a seed is very fragile. You, you're actually kind of gentle with it. It's small. It's fragile. And in the same way, what you see is the Bible. God, God doesn't force the gospel on anyone. Jesus didn't come and force people to say, well, you're not doing this, and he's forcing people. No, he's coming and he's casting out the seed. He's throwing out his teaching and he's doing it in such a way that invites people to come and, and to implant it in their lives, to accept it and to receive it. So you now in this, it's leading to really something that is really fundamental to these, to these pictures though. And that is when it talks about the kingdom here, when it, these pictures all present a, a, an, a, an aspect of the kingdom that shows that it's, it's personal in nature. See, again, when you have the people that were listening to Jesus, they're saying, Jesus, the greatest problem is the Romans. You know, you go and you defeat them and, and establish, you know, your rule in, in Jerusalem. Or, and again, I've I talked to people today, people still come and they're saying, God, I want you to come and fix this problem, fix this in the culture, fix, you know, my, my, my loved one's sick and fix this or fix my marriage or fix, fix the evil somewhere. And he's saying, no, my power isn't what I'm going to fix out there, it's what I want to fix in you. It's personal. It's not God's work out there, it's God's work in me. Look at these two parables. I want to point out something really significant. And this is something that is easy to miss. I think if I ask a lot of people, what is it saying? Well, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. Look again, look very carefully what it's saying. It's not saying that it is like a mustard seed. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is taken and planted. 
He's not saying that it's like yeast. He's saying it's like yeast that is taken and mixed into dough. He uses very personal terms. It's something the kingdom of heaven is when we take the seed of God's word and then we plant it into our lives. When we take yeast and we mix it into our lives. Look, look carefully at what he's saying here. Look at the way. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed. It's not just the mustard seed, it's when we take it and plant it in our lives. The kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that a woman took and hid. It's not just leaven, it's something, the kingdom doesn't become the kingdom until we take it into ourselves. See, these are things that are incredibly small and they grow something, into something big. But in both parables, these incredible powerful seeds don't become powerful in, their, in the sense they're implanted into our lives. God's word has incredible power. You see, but it's not just a matter of hearing and affirming the gospel. Uh, you know, that doesn't, in a sense, make it true. It's something that it's not just my mind, but I've got to embrace it in my heart so that I unleash it, I plant it, I believe it, I act as if it's true. Only then does the kingdom become real to me. And both of these are teaching pretty much the same idea. Both the seed and the yeast are incredibly small things that have concealed power. Both need to be taken in to have that power released. If I don't plant the seed, it's, it, it's never released. If, if, if I don't actually mix the yeast in, it, it has no power. The gospel isn't mine. Now to understand this, now let's remember, the kingdom of heaven is like these things. So let's go back to the kingdom. See, what we're teaching, what this teaching here is this idea that when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, the truth is that God's kingdom comes only when we make Jesus our king. That's the idea. That's his point. See, there are a lot of people that are coming and hearing Jesus and they like his message. They might like the idea of the kingdom of heaven. They're hoping that he's going to do certain things. They wanted to embrace him as a good teacher, maybe even the source of spiritual truth. But again, what he's saying here is when you think about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven implies that there is a king. And if we're going to then talk about the kingdom of heaven, you can't say that you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven without also making God the king of your life. That's the simple truth. That means we can't come to him and just see him as a good teacher and, and choose what parts that we like or what parts that we think are relevant to our time and our culture. No, when we give Jesus the right of king in our life, we come to him and we say, God, I give you the right over everything. You're the king. You have right over every aspect of my life. Now, what we're going to see is that doesn't necessarily mean he changes everything at once. It's all, both of these have slow and steady growth. And, and it, it doesn't mean that, you know, there's going to be times that it's like, okay, God's changing me here and he's going to, but the fact is, is that there's nothing that is off limits. I know there are some people that will teach and even believe that, you know, well, I can ask Jesus to forgive my sins. I can accept him as my savior, as my forgiver, and I can at the same point reject him as my king, as the Lord of my life. And what you're seeing, not only here, but I think throughout all the Bible, is the Bible teaches, no, if I accept Jesus, I have to accept him for all that he is. And even asking him to forgive my sins, what is my primary sin? It's basically failing to make him Lord and King of my life, failing to, re, to recognize him as God. And the simple truth is where God's kingdom is, that's where he is king. The king and the kingdom are inseparable. You cannot take them in isolation. You cannot say that you're a citizen of the kingdom of, God, of heaven and the kingdom of God without also embracing him as king of your life. Now, you know what? I think this is really challenging for us 
maybe even more so as Americans. And one of the reasons is that we live in a democracy. You know, we don't, we don't live in, a, in a, uh, a kingdom where we have a king who has ultimate authority over us. So think in terms of a democracy. Think of our political leaders. Our leaders have to listen to us. You know, we, we vote them in, and then they have to lead us in such a way that is consistent with our desires. And if the majority of people look at that and say, they're not doing what we want, what happens? We vote them out. We choose new leaders in. There are leaders that are not telling us what to do. In a sense, in a democracy, the majority tells them what to do. Now, a king isn't like that. A king has complete authority over his subjects. A king doesn't vote it in. And it's, he's not asking for the input. He's just basically saying, this is what you have to do. Now, this is so different. This is challenging for us. Because we live in a democracy where we think that we are the ultimate authority. That, that in everyday culture, you know, we're self-sufficiency and independence and and unfortunately, this value system can sometimes seep into our understanding of what the Christian life is. So we think that we're masters of fate, and, and, and if we're good Christians, what we're going to do is we're going to basically vote God in. We're going to ask for his input. We're going we're gonna to try to, we're going to follow him as long as we like his ideas. Um, you, a great example of this, I remember the old bumper sticker that some of you might remember is, uh, you know, God is my co-pilot. You know, just this idea that, well, God is here with me and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm looking, you know, I'm asking for his advice. I'm, I'm voting for him as long as we agree. But at the end of the day, I still, I still have control. So are we looking for God to be the co-pilot or are we looking for God to be our elected representative? Or are we saying, no, he's, this is his kingdom and it's not a democracy and I surrender to everything that he says. I want his rule within him. And what happens if we embrace that? It will have an incredible impact and that's what it's teaching. There's an impact. See, both of these, these parables, both the seed and the yeast grow. There's commonality between these two pictures. Both of them start incredibly small. The mustard seed, in fact, I had gotten some mustard seed that, you know, that I was gonna bring up here and they're so small, you couldn't see it, it didn't, didn't work. And um, you know, yeast is, is incredibly tiny. And, and, and not only that, but it's absorbed into the bread so you can't even see it. Both of them are incredibly tiny, almost over, overlooked, they're deceptive. You think that they're nothing, but they both have incredible impact. And so it is with the gospel. It would seem to have be nothing. I mean, you read the Bible, and well, it's an old book, and for a lot of people it is, and it doesn't make sense to me, or hear a sermon, and I'm just this guy up here giving this speech, and I'm going too long, and, and uh, you know, and it's just like, and it's seemingly nothing. But Hebrews 4 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's where even the message where we say, everything comes from God's word. I want you to go to God's word. I want you to see every point that I'm making is God's word. Because if it was just a guy up here giving a speech, then I'm kind of, you know, then I'm boring, then walk out. But if I'm, if I'm taking these things that are God's word, this is powerful. And if we embrace this and live it out, it is powerful, it will change us. Now this, this, the change isn't again instantaneous because in both of these, you have something that is planted and that is steady and slow. You know, if you ever plant a seed and then you go out and you try to watch it grow, how does that go? Or you, you know, you, you, you're making bread and you put the leaven in and you're like, man, I wanna go, I wanna make this fast. And you, you watch it, again, how does that go? 
with love and you walk away and you come back and you see suddenly, man, it's really grown, it's really changed. With the seed, you've got to give it time and you see suddenly the seed that, that seemingly wasn't doing anything over time, it, it is powers released and it's, it, it's, the, the growth may be slow, it may be imperceptible, but it's relentless. And so it is with the gospel. Because what does it say? If we really understand this, look what Paul says is what's the impact. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the behold, the new has come. We are changed, we are different. That's, that's what I love, the, the, the metaphor of the yeast. Think about the yeast and, and, and what happens. It comes into the dough and it doesn't replace the dough, but it transforms the dough. Every aspect, every inch of it, it transforms it into his likeness. It changes it and, it, and it makes it something new. And that's the power of the kingdom of God. When we come, it comes into us. It doesn't replace us. It doesn't replace our personality. It doesn't replace our gifts. We're still us, but it transforms every aspect of our being so that we become more like God, more in his likeness. Now, most of what we've looked at this morning in these two parables, and, and most of that is here, is that they're teaching the same thing. They're teaching the, you know, the same concept twice so we don't miss it. Both are these tiny seeds that have incredible po- hidden power and both in, a, in both the seed and the yeast, it's things that we need to be taken into our heart. Uh, they grow to have a huge impact. But while these parables teach the same main point, I wanna end by just taking and pointing out that there's also a distinction between the two. There, there are two distinctive pictures here about what that impact is what it looks like when we take God's word into our heart and how it changes us. And so let's look at this again. Let's start with the first one in verse 31. He told them, put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed into his field. Again, it's not just the mustard seed, it's that it's brought in, it's buried, it's implanted. And look what becomes of the seed. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air come and make its nests and its branches. And it's talking here about the size and the shade of the mustard, uh, mustard tree. Now again, when we think of the mustard seed, and most of us haven't seen this, we look at this and you know, it doesn't strike us as powerful. It, it's, you know, it's something that we can easily smash. It's, you know, it's insignificant, it's fragile. But what happens is when you plant it in the ground, it suddenly grows so that it's powerful. It can expand, con- you know, tear up concrete. And again, just think of this picture, this tiny little thing that you can barely see. And, and I think Jesus chose this for a reason. And most trees have much bigger, you know, much bigger seeds. And so here's this one that has this tiny little seed. It's something that you would never think that would grow into a tree. And yet you look at this and it does grow into this, this bush, this tree, this, you know, this huge thing. Now, even if you think of that, if you look at that little seed, if that seed has a head-on collision with concrete, who wins? Concrete, you know, it's, 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 again, it's nothing. But if you take that seed and you plant it and unleash its power, if you put it underneath the sidewalk, what's gonna happen? In a couple of years, it's gonna be tearing up your sidewalk. It's gonna be tearing up the concrete. That's the power of the gradual growth. Now, Look at its impact. Let's go back to verse 32. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make its nest and its branches. He's teaching that when we let God's power work in our lives, we not only are changed by it, but we're changed in such a way that we then become agents of God's grace to the world. 
It's not only that we grow as a tree, but that's the idea that when he says that the birds of the air come and makes its nest in its branches. God not only brings stability into our lives so that we become stable, that we have deep roots, that we grow, but we grow in such a way that literally other people will come to us and find stability in us. They will find hope. They will find safety. They will find encouragement. They will find truth. See, now, for some people, I will hear people talk about, well, you know, I'm a normal Christian. You know, I, I just serve God and I'm trying to be faithful. And, and then you look at people that are serving and really making a difference. Well, they're exceptional. They're really, you know, they're, they're, they're exceptional people. And what you need to see is what Jesus is teaching here is that, no, the normal Christian is the one who's growing and has become a tree where other people are coming to our, you know, to our, are nesting in a sense in our branches. That's normal. The normal experience for a follower of Christ should be in time that we become a, a, an agent of God's grace to the world. It's such that the gospel not only changes us, but that we're used of God to impact other people. Jesus teaches the same idea in other places. So for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, look what he says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. We are the salt of the earth. We have a world that is, that is rotting. We have a world that is like, you know, that is, you know, that is meat, that is just decaying. And the only hope in that time before refrigeration was salt that would be rubbed into that meat that would preserve the freshness. And we are the salt. And if we're not that salt rubbing into the world, preserving, and in a sense, the preservative impact, then our world's in great trouble. And this isn't the exception. This is the norm. This is what all of us should be doing. Or then he says in the next verse, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That we are light. We have a world that is confused, that is in darkness, that doesn't know truth, that needs Christ, that needs, needs the principles of God's truth, that doesn't always like it. But if we're not going to be light and, and, and communicate that truth to the world, what hope does the world have? It doesn't mean they're always going to enjoy, so rejoice in it, but the fact is we need to be the light of the world. We need to be all of us literally saying, God, help grow me to a place where I not only have the stability, but that I can be a means of grace to others because we live in a world who needs followers of Christ who are living to, willing to live this out. Now, the distinctive picture in the second parable is the yeast, as we see in verse 33, told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And the unique thing here is the comprehensive nature of the yeast and its impact. As I said earlier, the yeast comes into the dough and it doesn't replace the dough, but it transforms the dough into its likeness. And again, he doesn't just say that it's like yeast. It's yeast that is brought into the dough, that is mixed in. And so in the same way, here we have God's, that's God's truth that is yeast, it's power, and it needs to be mixed into our lives. And in time, it will be mixed in and so that it's relentless, it will change every aspect of our lives. And when it happens is it changes everything that we are. It, it's not like, oh, well, here's this, here's my religious aspect, it changes every aspect. You know, I find it interesting, it's increasingly common for people who identify as Christians to kind of call themselves hyphenated Christians. You know, the most common now, and not that I'm just picking on this, but it's a, you know, probably most common of sexual identity. I'm a homosexual Christian or transgender Christian or whatever it would be. And, and I know it might step on some toes, but stay with me on everything that I'm saying. I believe according to the Bible, it's impossible to be a hyphenated Christian. 
And it's not just a matter of sexual identity, but the Bible teaches that I can't put anything else along my identification as Christianity. Why? Because in most cases, what I find is what the person is really saying is, well, here are these two things that identify me. And they're saying, and this is the one that Jesus can't change. I'm this and this, and, 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 and you know, this is my primary identity, and, and then I'm a Christian on top of that, but my Christianity isn't gonna change this. It implies that there's an aspect of my life that's off limits. And it's not just an issue with sexuality. Again, you have, I've talked to people and maybe they're in a heterosexual relationship and, and I'm not willing to change. Or, or some, for some people, it's my identity is my political views. I'm a Republican or a Democrat or, or I'm a member of this group or whatever it would be. And the fact of the matter is that we need to realize that God calls us to submit everything to him. There isn't a part of my life, if, I, if it's like yeast, it means that over time it's going to invade everything. And if I'm cutting off part of that dough and putting it off to the side, I'm really not accepting, I'm, I'm, I'm voting him in. I'm not making him king. I'm not experiencing the life-changing power of the kingdom of God because the power of God will let God change everything, let him touch everything. And so the question is, are there things that you've pulled off? Are there things that you're saying, well, God, you can't touch this. I know that I'm wrong here, but I'm not willing to submit. And I don't say this to condemn in any way. I say this as an invitation because all of this is not, you're out, you're, it's, it's not that because that's what you see in the context of the wheat and the tares. It's all an invitation of saying, no, God wants to complete the work that he's begun, that he wants to come in and, and, and let you experience the full power of the gospel to go back and even where we started. You know, we have this great wealth. We have the winning ticket in a sense. We have, we, we can claim we have this, but do you have it? Is it yours? You can have it here and if you've never planted it in your mind, in your heart, your, your life, so that it's changing, it's not really yours. And so the question to close is, have you taken and implanted the gospel in your life? Are you seeing the fruit of that? Is it really changing every aspect of who you are? And maybe for some, it's like, no, this, I've got this area off. Okay, will you surrender that to Christ today? For some, it might be, you know, boy, I'm looking for God to do this. No, are you letting him work in you? Or I'm, I'm, he's a good teacher. And no, are you willing to surrender to him as, as not only a teacher, but as Savior, as Lord, as King, as God? Are you willing to make it yours? so that we're not out there part of this crowd that was out there listening to Jesus and Jesus confronts and says, yeah, you know, it's falling on the hard ground, it's falling. No, is it really yours? Are we the wheat? Are, the, are we the ones that are bearing fruit? And God invites us to that kind of surrender, to that kind of transformation, and to that kind of blessing, each one of us today. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.